Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you've been listening to the show on Apple Podcast, how about leaving a review for the show five star reviews are extremely appreciated but more than anything i want to know what you think so i can better serve my audience and speaking of serving my audience and five star reviews i have a new review and a shout out for aubrey d who says best way to prepare for peace corps service five stars great podcast tyler i've been listening to this podcast for months going back and listening to all the previous episodes i just barely finished them all in time i'm leaving for staging tomorrow for cohort 89 in lesotho as a primary education english teacher i have done a lot of research read multiple books i really love the honesty of your book by the way and i feel as though this podcast has prepared me for my service more than anything thank you so much for doing such a wonderful job and really executing the third goal of the peace corps so well keep up the great work and I look forward to listening to an episode each week while completing my service. Well, Aubrey D., you wrote this message yesterday, uh, the day before I released this episode, and right now you are at staging. So congratulations, and I look forward to seeing your service progress. Without further ado, here's the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Addis Chapman. And, and my name is Jim Chapman. And this is our Peace Corps story. Hey, Addis and Jim, uh, happy and excited to talk to you guys today about your Peace Corps service in Pakistan, a country that uh, current or recently returned volunteers may not even realize that the Peace Corps served in. Uh, so I am excited to talk to you uh, about your time in Pakistan. Well, we're happy to we're happy to answer any questions we can. Okay, and starting off, you guys, when you were serving in Pakistan, it wasn't even called Pakistan then. It was West Pakistan. Uh, there was a West and the East Pakistan following the, I guess, the England. The British rule leaving and sort of dividing up uh, Pakistan and Bangladesh and India. When when you guys were assigned to go there, did you know? anything about this country that you were going to spend two years in? No, only thing what I found in the Atlas. <laughs> when they told me I was, that's where I was accepted, I went to the book and to see where it was and what language they spoke. I have, I have a feeling that's what we all did. I've read about India and I was kind of interested in the British Raj, but uh, Pakistan was foreign. You know, mm-hmm. we, heard about, we heard about the riots during partition, but uh, it didn't really stick with us much. We were only 14 years from from partition. So it was still a very new country mm-hmm. in, in, had formed as a result of partition. So uh, it, it was very different than it is now. Mm-hmm. And you all served at the very beginning of Peace Corps. Your service began in 1961, which was the first year of Peace Corps. Being that first group of volunteers, uh, what what inspired you? Because uh, you didn't have other volunteers to look towards of return volunteers or hearing about the program. This was brand new. Well, I'll tell you my story. I I was living on Long Island and I was working at the VA hospital in Northport. And uh, I, I had a girlfriend there that we used to pal around. And it was, you know, it was pretty dreary. There wasn't much going on in, in on Long Island at the time. And we went everywhere. We went to tea dances and everything to try to meet people. And we weren't having a lot of luck. And finally we said, you know, why are we staying here? Why don't we just move on and let's find another VA somewhere that's interesting. So we applied at the one in the Panama Canal and we applied for the one in San Francisco. 
And I said, whichever one comes through first will go. But in the meantime, I found this article on the Peace Corps. And she said, not for me. I'm not taking my bath in a bucket. And she <laughs> says, I'm not going to go with you if it's, if it's Peace Corps. So I said, well, let's wait and see who turns up. This Peace Corps thing is new. They may not get their act together for quite a while. So we applied. And as it turned <laughs> out, it was the first one that accepted us and accepted me. And I said, looks like I'm going going to Pakistan and you're staying here. So that's how that's how I got there. I think some of us were inspired by Kennedy, although I have to admit that uh, I actually voted for Nixon in the presidential <laughs> that year. Uh, but. You know, I always wanted to travel. I'd read about India, but I had no idea. We didn't really have a choice as to where we were going to be going. Uh, you know, we just took the exam and didn't hear anything until uh, we got a telegram on August 17th saying, wrap up your life and be in Colorado on the 29th. So we had about 11 days to, you know, we were all a bunch of professionals for the most part. We had... Uh, you know, ours is the first uh, multidisciplinary project that Peace Corps ever put together. Before that, they'd all been either all teachers, all engineers, but we had we had a bunch of different. We had nurses, we had lab people, we had uh, agricultural experts, engineers. Uh, we even had a brick mason, and so everybody just sort of had to wrap up their lives, put their jobs, pack up, and go. <laughs> okay, and you two, did you guys meet in Peace Corps? Yes. Yep. We met in training, and we worked together uh, off and on in different assignments, uh, and then came home, and he was drafted and decided that. Well, as the story goes, I called her and said, I can't stand to eat Army food for two years. Will you marry me? <laughs> That's how the story goes. <laughs> okay. So, so we got in, uh, about two months after we came back, as he was going, he was going to basic training. Mm -hmm. And when he got out of basic yeah. training, we we get married. So we did, and we got married on the East Coast. Okay. And, and the rest of history. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping to get into some of that, that prehistory of your, your time in Peace Corps. And you said it was a multidisciplinary group. What were you all actually supposed to be doing? Or in theory, what were you supposed to be doing as volunteers? I'm a nurse and I was assigned to a hospital. Okay. And I, well, for whatever reason, I, I was, my degree was in microbiology and I was supposed to go over there originally to work in a virus lab, virology laboratory. But then it turned out during training, they found out that there was no virology <laughs> laboratory. Someday they were gonna build one. And at that point, maybe they would need somebody to help out. So I got assigned to a veterinary, um, veterinary school for which I was totally not qualified and there was nothing for me to do there anyway. So anyway. That's that's what we went over to do. Mm -hmm. And where were you living in uh, Pakistan? Were you in a rural remote community? Were you placed in a larger town? It sounds like if they were placing you at uh, hospitals and what was supposed to be a virology lab, that they were sort of larger cities. Well, my my first assignment was in was in uh, Lalpur. And that's a big city. It's on. It's it's about fifty miles from Lahore, going mm -hmm. going east. And I was I was in Lahore. That's where the veterinary college was, uh, which is uh, the second largest city in Pakistan. Beautiful place, by the way. But that was just my first assignment. After that didn't work out. They didn't they didn't know what they wanted at the hospital. We already had three other nurses that were in our group working there. And they all had a very specific assignment. But for some reason, they thought I, sh I would look better sitting in a chair 
all dressed up in my nurse's uniform in the hallway. And I wasn't allowed to take care of the patients because the patients' families take care of them. And so I had to sit there and look efficient and look like they had a nurse. He just wanted he just wanted nurses all around the hospital dressed up like American nurses. Like, wow, this is uptown. Well, I think you have to understand that back in the beginning, uh, they kind of cobbled together the projects. Uh, so in a lot of cases, they had fairly young, inexperienced people going over to set up the jobs, find jobs. They wanted to get a lot of people in the field, and they weren't paying a whole lot of attention to uh, to uh, what kind of jobs or what actually would be jobs when, when they got there. So it turns out that very few of us actually had real work to do when we, when we finally got there. So we ended up kind of having to look around and make our own jobs, find something else to do. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I made a, I did a survey, a program, ran a program there, uh, starting from scratch, using our existing volunteers that were already there. Uh, we didn't have any before us, but I mean, that in our group. And we used them and I sent them around the country East Pakistan, all the major cities, wherever there was a request from the Pakistan government for a volunteer. And then we had, I, I just helped design a form that they could take in and, and ask these questions. And if the answers were wrong, they didn't have a project there. And sure enough, uh, we found a number of, of requests that had nothing there. There would be the same duplication of what we already had a problem when we arrived and nothing to do and so those were the ones we scratched and eventually we managed to place everybody but they were out in the field and they had to be convinced that if if they wanted to go and work on that job or they could do that job even if it was someone like another nurse she could go in there even though she has a job where she is she would go in and say, mm, doesn't look like a real job to me. Looks like this guy just wants another nurse. So that's what we did. And we did that for oh, several months. Yeah. Jim went on some of the trips. I did a lot of it. Um, it was interesting. And it was, I know what they were up against when they tried to put these four in there. Because every visit was an explanation. Why are you here? What is the peace for? What can you do for us? You know, I actually went to a place in Dhaka, in what is now Bangladesh, and uh, they didn't even know why I had come to check out a job. They didn't even know they'd request the volunteers to be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, so, it was uh, different. It, it was, yeah, it was a good learning experience. Well, I, I, you know, it helped you understand why your your teachers and, and all had a, had a better idea of what was, we were up against. And they were very, very accommodating and they tried very hard to get us into jobs that we really liked and wanted to stay in. So, I mean, they, they really made an effort at, at understanding once they started to see this survey come through that, oh my God, what have we done, you know? And I remember going there and talking to that guy and boy, he, he sounded like he really wanted a volunteer, but now it turns out he didn't. So it it, it did it opened some doors for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what an interesting time to be to be in the Peace Corps to be that first group because the the things that you're explaining uh, eventually became common practice that that you guys were doing for the very first time of of actually going out in vetting communities, seeing if projects were actually there, if they had. Uh, facilities and enough set up for a volunteer to actually be there. But you guys being the first group, they kind of just put you out there and said, uh, here you go, try your best. And, and, we, and we made it up as we went along. And so we designed the program and, and that's how, and that's where we went from there. Every time volunteers came, they had to go through this process of making sure that that was a job. Mm-hmm. And your living situation in West Pakistan, were you living on your own or with host families? No. Uh, well, in my case, 
there was a group of us in in Lahore, all all males living on the campus of the veterinary college. But we had people that were teaching in the engineering college. We had people. Uh, there was a librarian that worked in the uh, vet college. Uh, and there was a whole group of us, but uh, it was it was a big house, and we each had our own room. It was it was very very nice. That was that was while we were in the city. Later on, when we moved to the village, it wasn't quite as posh. Well, and and, and in my case, uh, I where I would was at the first hospital. Um, I had my own room. We all had we had it was a great big house. We had a cook <clears throat> and a sweeper. And uh, and 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 some some of us had single rooms, others dormed with others with you know like three or four girls in one room, but uh, we were all in one building in the in Lalpur. So we all went off to our and we were all mostly nurses. There were a couple of teachers, but most of them were nurses. So you know we were, there was a lot in common in that group. Mm -hmm. And. Reflecting back on your Peace Corps service, do you have any favorite memories or experiences, those stories that maybe uh, you tell friends and family, grandchildren oh, now? You don't have time for all of them. <laughs> we have thousands. Well, I can tell you one. I remember when uh, my friend of I, I mentioned that one of the guys in our group was a brick mason, and we ended up with, since we didn't have a job, we we were sort of commandeered to go out and fix this, you know, several hundred year old bridge that was the only way that the villagers could get their produce to market. And it was starting to crumble. Uh, so anyway, he and I went out on our bikes one day to check out the village and check out the bridge. And of course, we didn't. It was about 20 miles out of Lahore. So we went across rice paddies and got chased by wild dogs. And along the way, of course, we got lost. And so we stopped this old man who was walking along the side of the road, white turban, white robe and everything. And in our, our very poor language, we tried to ask him if he knew how to get to the village, which is Kotpindi Das. And he looked at us and he looked at us and finally he smiled and because our Urdu language is not coming through. And finally, Grandin, he says, in this very clipped British English, are you trying to ask me how to get to the village of Kotpindi Das? <laughs> <laughs> and they started laughing, and and he, he turned out he'd been in the British Army and spent years in Hong Kong. <laughs> so beautiful English. Yeah, he spoke better English than either one of us, us did. We had very poor language training. Uh, we were all sent to the Punjab, where everybody spoke Punjabi, but the official language at the time was Urdu and English. And so they taught us Urdu, but nobody actually spoke it, and we never really learned it very well anyway. So. And when we got to the country, nobody actually ever spoke the language that they had taught us. So I hope we hope they learned something. From oh, we that. had a Hindu professor. He didn't. He he only spoke he was, Hindi. He was a linguist, so <laughs> and not a language teacher. So it was it was pretty poor training all the way around. Well, they uh, they've definitely imp improved uh, <laughs> a lot since you served, but uh, still still room to improve. I ended up learning. French during my training and then was placed in a village where only about 10% of the people spoke French and then had to teach myself a local language. Yeah. Well, you know what? They have corrected it now. Our grandson, as well, I guess you communicated with him, in, in uh, the Republic of uh, Georgia, Georgia uh, he said that when he's, what he does is they've separated them. Mm -hmm. There's only one volunteer at a location. Mm -hmm. So can't there isn't anybody there to talk English to, and nobody speaks English in Georgia. Mm -hmm. So it, you know it's it's an odd Sanskrit size writing. Uh, it's it's nowhere it's not spoken anywhere else in the world. I don't know what they're going to do with it when they leave, but <laughs> it's nobody else speaks it. Very rare. Yeah, it's one of the fourteen totally. Uh, singular languages in the whole world. Mm -hmm. So and 
but, but they, they solved the problem with placing taking volunteers away from other volunteers, mm -hmm. sure that they were located in a place where they didn't have a lot of time to spend speaking English, and they forced themselves to speak the language, and it worked out very well. My grandson learned to speak it quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's when you have that opportunity to default back on the language that you know, you very quickly do so. But if you have to find your way to back to your house or find food, you learn the language pretty quickly. Right. Well, it also, I I just think it was it was a it was a good idea to do this to do it that way because they really they got homesick if they were with their friends. You know, they accept sitting around talking about tuna fish sandwiches and, wow, I wish we had some brownies or, you know, some of the things that we missed. Uh, there wasn't anybody to share your life at all. Mm -hmm. So it was, you were on your own, really on your own. Mm -hmm. and so you, I think, I think his, he's learned it much better than than we did. Mm -hmm. And you're referring to your grandson, who is currently serving as a Peace Corps volunteer, and that's how I got connected to you. He's been listening to the podcast and and following me on Instagram, and he reached out and said, you know, you need to talk to my grandparents, who served in, in Pakistan in the, the first years of the Peace Corps. So I take it that uh, your, your years of stories definitely inspired him to uh, to serve as well. Well, I think the main takeaway from any Peace Corps experience is you load up on stories to bore your children and grandchildren with in years to come. <laughs> That's a good source of stories for grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, uh, there's nothing that really uh, can compare to a, a story from a far off place in an exotic country. Uh, so you, you definitely have uh, a, a bevy of stories to, to share. Well, they're do you probably not as everybody else as we think they are. <laughs> That's okay too. Yes, uh, but you're you're among good company here. I feel that usually when Peace Corps volunteers get together, even if they didn't serve in the same country, they love hearing each other's stories because there are so many commonalities. Even though that uh, I served 51 years after you served, there was probably a more more similar than dissimilar. In our services, oh, I'm sure they were. Uh, you know the experiences when you're working in a, in a underdeveloped country. Uh, it's not going to change quickly, so the experiences are going to be very, very much the same. I would say. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you struggled with, or anything that you, as you remember uh, struggling with? I know there was a lot. Peace Corps isn't easy, but what were some of the biggest difficulties that you faced as volunteers? Oh, language was one because mm -hmm. we were not proficient in the language, any of us. Um, we, when we went to work in the village, I, we spent almost a year uh, running, basically practicing medicine without a license in a, in a village clinic. And the day-to-day -day living was extremely difficult because we were without running water, uh, no electricity. No electricity. It was hotter than Hades most of the time. I did something with the computer here. It'd be about 120. And, and, and so we found that we almost had to get away almost every weekend, just get out of the village and not knowing, of course, what we were going to come back to when we showed up back to work on Sunday evening. But uh, uh, it, was, it was really a struggle trying to trying to put on a full work week in under those conditions. And the living the living conditions were pretty horrible too. But we loved the work. And the people were super. I mean they were really great. Uh, the ladies and the babies that came to the clinic were just wonderful. Uh, wonderful little I have this little story. Uh, this I had a pump out back. We had no running water. We, there was a pump out back, but we didn't know. What, the Peace Corps said they not to use it. They didn't know if it was contaminated or not. I don't know why they didn't test it, but they did. But anyway, so we had this pump out in the backyard. But people would come there and wash their hair, and uh, and, 
just cool off. The patients would go out in the back and or or to get to take some of the water. And uh, one day I looked out and here is this darling little girl, just about two and a half. She's got this little dress on, little cute little cotton dress. Her mother had her all dressed up. No panties, just and a little stringy hair. The children there are nutrition is not good. And so they have a quality to their hair that you can, once you've seen it, you know it's it's nutrition. And uh, this little thing sticking, hair sticking out all over. And she was trying to get the pump. She wanted to wash, she wanted to wash her hair. And the reason she wanted to wash her hair was I had a little tiny piece of Kameh's, pink Kameh soap sitting next to the bottom of the pump. And she saw that. And she knew what it was. She knew it was soap. And and I apparently never had soap. So she picked it up. I watched her. And she rubbed it in her hair. <laughs> then she tried to pump the pump to wet her hair. And she couldn't. She's too little to reach up and get it down and, and then go up again. So a few minutes later, her brother came. And he pumped it for her. And she washed her hair. And when she was ready to leave, I gave her the soap. And she went off just like, you know, like she had diamonds and gold in her hand, just down the street, just looking at her soap. And it was a wonderful feeling to see this little happy thing. But it was hysterical watching her learn how to wash her hair in a pump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Those stories like that are one of the reasons that I do this podcast is just just hearing them and they they tend to be things that people maybe going into Peace Corps don't realize that those are going to be the stories that they remember are so special to them. It was you know, five, ten minutes of just a normal day, but that's the stuff that you remember. Well, that's uh, there are mil- millions, of millions of stories. There was, there was an old man who spoke pretty good English. Came down the dining. One of his sons had uh, had been sick for a long time. And I had I I had a little laboratory in the in the clinic, and so I could I diagnose a lot of the intestinal illnesses, which I understand you've had now recently. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, so it turned out that he had had uh, amoebic dysentery, which I could, we could diagnose and we could treat, and so. Couple of days later, he shows up and he he brought another stool sample for. He says, "I have another son who's very ill," and so I tested that, and that was the same thing. And one, of one, one of them had worms. One one of them had worms, and uh, so about four or five days passed, and all of a sudden, here he comes with another comes down the street with a stick with a little bag on, on the end of the stick, like a hobo. And I knew he had another stool sample. And I said, I thought you only, you said you only had two sons. And he, he took me aside because he didn't want anybody to hear him. He said, this is my sample. Because <laughs> <laughs> their kids were all getting better. He didn't, he didn't want anybody to know that he was sick, too. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anyway, was, but we had a story like that every day, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, what do you miss about your your Peace Corps service? My friends, the people there. The uh, we made some very close friends, and of course, it's not like now where you could keep in contact with them easily. I never talked to any of my family on the phone for two years. We couldn't mm-hmm. make connections. No. And uh, it, was, it was interesting because we had a very close friend who we lost contact with. And 50 years later, we we connected up on Facebook. <laughs> and wow. we've, been in touch ever, we've been in touch ever since. He's still, he's a Pakistani, runs a farm, does a lot of uh, permaculture. So anyway, it's, it's been really interesting that way, using the tools that we have available now to I wish we had had them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely very different. One, while being in Peace Corps service, I 
my uh, mother called me every single Sunday. Uh, so oh. I, I, talk, I talk to her every single week. And it seems like you're able to communicate with your grandson. And then yeah. as soon as I, as soon as I left Peace Corps, I've got all my, my friends and family that I made in, in Burkina Faso. I've got them on my phone and I, you know, call them up or we send messages over Facebook. And yeah, it's the, the connection is very, very different now. Yeah. When were you in Burkina Faso? Uh, 2012 to 2014. Was, what's your name there? Oh, no. No, we had, we had a, we had a, in fact, our Peace Corps secretary went, went into the Foreign Service and eventually she was, I think, second in command in Burkina Faso and became the ambassador to uh, Niger, yeah, Niger. Oh, wow. So we're still, we still in touch with her. We still her, see but, her. But um, she, started out, she started out with us as right out of college and went to work as a Peace Corps secretary in the office. Mm-hmm. Then went on to have a big long career in the diplomatic corps. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel that Peace Corps service shaped your life? And did it just you know, changing your day to day, your outlook, or did it shift your career focus and what you did? How did how did those two years impact the rest of your life? Oh, I think it. it I met Jim. Well, that's yeah. We've that's, been married fifty some years. <laughs> That that was quite an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it I think it gave us. You know, I grew up in a little town in eastern Oregon, and never traveled. It, it certainly gives you a, a, an appreciation for different cultures and different peoples, and you also realize that different people are not really different at all. Uh, particularly, we lived in a Muslim country, and I see some of the things going on now. And how I think, unfortunately, our government doesn't seem to understand anything about Islam. Uh, and uh, we find, you know, you, you have an appreciation for and love for different cultures. Mm-hmm. The people were very special, uh, particularly the village people. Because they were, their city guides were really sometimes hard to take. They really did think they were important. They're the ones who rode the bus with the fountain pen in their pocket so that somebody would think they could write or read. Uh, that, was not our, that was not the society that we liked. <clears throat> the village people, the ones who came and brought their babies and were worried about them being sick, and the shepherd who fell off the pole and nearly died. Uh, looking for a sheep, he climbed a telephone pole. And he electrocuted himself. Electrocuted himself. Came, Ray brought him to to us at the at the little dispensary. He was so brave and he was so wonderful, and he got well. And I just, you know, I I remember people like that. They had the fortitude and the strength to do things that you couldn't even imagine, to live the life they lived. In half the time, their families are starving, and the rest of the time, they, they're very sick. We had a patient in the hospital, and we had to take him to, to Lyleport because he, she was so sick. She was a little girl, and uh, she had intestinal obstruction. So we, we put her on the bus. We took her on the bus to Lyleport because there was no transportation. We didn't have cars or anything at our disposal. And we took her to the hospital, and... She was. She got well, and apparently she. She was funny. Uh, the nun said, "You know, she. She's just has the worst language. She just. She speaks the most terrible words. You wouldn't believe." <laughs> but uh, anyway, the nuns thought they were that she was funny. But she got very well. She got well. Parents came and picked her up. A few days later, we got a call, or not a call, a visit from one of the people in the village who said her father died. He got, he, he just recovered, his daughter had just recovered. He was so happy. And he, and he had, got. And, and we had talked him into giving blood, donating blood for her while she was in the hospital. And my guess is that they eternally blamed us for the fact that he died because he gave blood. <laughs> but he had, he had another, what was it? I don't, I, even, I don't remember. remember what it was, but it was like, like a form of dysentery, but he was really, really, Oh, a color, not color. Well, he everybody there 
anybody there got sick, they said he had the fever. It could have been any of a thousand mm -hmm. different fevers. You know, I had malaria. So there was a lot of malaria. There was, uh, oh, you know, every every intestinal thing known to man. I had patients who had uh, lockjaw, lock had tetanus, who had uh, all kinds of stuff that you die of now. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of, my, one of my jobs was assisting our, we had a doctor in, in our office in Lahore, uh, and we had a little laboratory. So one of the things I routinely did was test everybody's stool specimens for whatever intestinal illnesses they might have, the parasites, you know, amoeba, hookworm, roundworm, you name it, tapeworm. So, and everybody had something or other like that during the two years we were there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, disease, uh, that definitely is something that hasn't changed, sadly, uh, for, no. for, for Peace Corps volunteers. Yeah, it was, it was dreary. We did have one nurse that got... Uh, Malaria. Malaria, but she got it out of the brain mm -hmm. and was a really sick cookie for a long time. Mm -hmm. But she had a, she was amazing. She did amazing things. She ran the hospital for the women's hospital. Mm -hmm. And she, she used to deliver babies up in Alaska. That was, <laughs> what she did. she's an amazing woman. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I just admired her so because she was so smart. And she could mm -hmm. do anything. We were sitting, there's an example. We were sitting around the table at, at the house where I was living. And the, the men came down from the, uh, from the college, the agricultural college, just to get out. So they came over and we sat around the table and we were playing scrapplers, all kinds of games and talking. All of a sudden, <clears throat> we were talking about food and what we missed. And all of a sudden, I smelled something. It smelled so good. And in she comes with a big tray of brownies. Now, I mean, fudge, fudge, fudge. And I thought, well, how the hell does she know how to make fudge? <laughs> she just knew. She had the recipe in her head. And she made this huge, massive amount of, of fudge. And we just sat there. We couldn't believe. We thought we died and got to heaven. Well, I've got to tell you, this... This was the first group of nurses in the Peace Corps, and I'll, I'll tell you, there isn't one that I, I didn't think was probably the best nurse in the world. Uh, they were an amazing bunch. Uh, I was thinking uh, off the subject a little bit. I remember that there was a lot of concern that people would use the uh, Peace Corps as a way to evade the, the military. Mm -hmm. And in our group of 28 Seven of them had already been in the military, including one girl who'd been a combat nurse in Korea. Uh, and then two of us were drafted afterwards. So out of the group of 28, nine actually served in the military. So it was not what you would think of as a haven for draft dodgers. Yeah. yeah it seems that uh, a lot of people were just called to serve uh, re regardless of, of, of what it was, if they were being told or of their own uh, volition. Well, I think in, in our group of 28, you probably had 28 different reasons why why they went. Uh, I th Another thing I find interesting is I hear now people deciding, I don't really like it here, I'm going to go home. Uh, and we'd have died before we would have quit. I mean, I, I had at least five different jobs when I was there, but, you know, if I couldn't do this one, I'm going to go find something else because I'm sure as hell not going home. And of the 28, one girl did leave because her father died, and she had to go home and take care of that. And another girl went home because of illness. But other than that, the rest of us stuck it out. Mm -hmm. And we never, we, you couldn't take a trip. I mean, you couldn't go home. You couldn't, you couldn't get a good, decent phone call. Uh, sometimes your mail didn't arrive. I remember, I remember asking my family. To send me some stockings, some nylons, because once in a while we have an opportunity to go to an embassy or something, and you know they parade us around like we're sort of uh, toys. Mm -hmm. And so, 
we had I I did I ripped my last pair of stockings. So I wrote to my sister and I said, send me a pair, a couple of pair of stockings, will you? I said, I'm just desperate. You know, you can't get them here. So when I got back, I never got any. And a couple of times I got one. And I thought, what the devil? So when I got home, I said, why didn't you send me the stockings? She said, we sent you so many pairs of stockings. You wouldn't believe it. But they take them out of the mail. Yeah. Well, mail, our mail was fair game. And everything had to go through the local postal system. So... And the USIA, where, where their library was, it was like a s- scrapbooks. They were all cut up. All the women, that, you know, in, in underwear were cut out. Uh, it was just bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. So we, in fact, at one point, I we didn't have anything to wrap food in, and in the village it was hard because there were rats, and so uh, we asked Jim's mother to send us, and you could, newspapers would come in, to take a toil and fold it back and forth and back and forth in a newspaper and do the same thing with with uh, wax paper. So we had something to wrap our food in and, uh, and, and keep it uh, safe. And uh, it worked just great. The packages came, the the the, the rolled up newspapers came and sure enough there were spices or other things that she put in that papers and roll them up they never opened a newspaper but of course they couldn't read them number one a lot of them in the village but uh, that was what we, you got creative after a while because you had to go by, bypass that system we were in the system they didn't have anything special for us mm-hmm. we were it was the local everything well you know that you were a volunteer <laughs> Yeah, it it got oh, a little little it got a little bit better for us, but I would still have people write uh Bibles on the side of boxes that they would send me so that they would think it was for for a mission that I would go through. Uh-huh. And That's then sometimes good. yeah, and then sometimes at the post office they would they would want to check the box, but I would make sure that whoever sent it would put some stuff like small candy on top that I could then just offer the customs guy right there and then he would just take the candy and let me leave. But uh, it got a little better, but we still had things being stolen from our packages. Yeah. <laughs> Some things never change. Well, mm-hmm. we did get an interesting package, a coffee can with fudge in it. Describe it. I didn't know oh, it again. It, it was a big coffee can. A friend of mine sent me a big coffee can full of homemade fudge. But unless you specify that it should be sent air, air, air postage, it would go by sea. <laughs> and take, say, weeks to months before it ever arrived. So what I ended up with is this big can full of green mold. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was that was the, that was my gift. Yeah, I had a. Uh, my mother had made me brownies, but she vacuum sealed them before she mailed them. The package was lost for six months, and then I finally <laughs> got there. I finally got the brownies. And surprisingly, the vacuum sealing worked. Uh, that they were still edible, or at least I considered them to be edible. Amazing! You'll uh, eat anything after a while, won't you? <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I've I've had a pleasure just hearing some of your stories. As you said, you you have thousands of them. Are there any other ones that you want to share or just general thoughts about your service that you want to share with the listeners of the the podcast? Well, like the old expression goes, uh, it's the toughest job you'll ever love. Uh, You may, you may not love it so much while you're actually doing it, but trust me as the, as the years go by, you miss it more and more. It's something that uh, it becomes part of your blood. And although in our case it skipped a generation, we're so proud to have our grandson serving in the Peace Corps now. Mm-hmm. And that was his own decision. We didn't know anything about it. He decided all on his own and applied and was accepted. And then he told us. So oh. something rubbed off over the years. Maybe it was the stories. He's heard all the stories. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, when he's finished, he'll know who to blame. <laughs> and how to poor people. <laughs> no, it was, 
for me, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I, you know, I didn't even think about other things. I just was right in the middle of what was happening. And uh, some days I hated it. Some days it, I was so hot, it's 128 degrees. And it went down to 100 at night. And there was no such thing as electricity. So nobody had a fan, nothing. I mean, you didn't have cold water. You couldn't even have ice. The ice came from the river. You couldn't use that ice. So it was river water. You couldn't make ice because we didn't have any refrigeration because we didn't have any electricity. Uh, it was just uh, not a lot of fun sometimes. But when I look back on it and I think, I'm pleased with myself that I did it. And everybody should do it. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful, wonderful education. Uh, there's things they could fix. Uh, it might even be a little too long now because you're training in country. See, we were, we were, I mean, you're training there. We didn't train there. We mm -hmm. trained outside. We had, we had peace. We had our training in, in uh, Fort Collins in Peace Corps. And then we had, uh, outward Bound School in Puerto Rico. So they gave up on the Outward Bound. They figured that these guys are just having a good time. So let's skip the Outward Bound program. But uh, it, it, there's a lot to learn. And and that you, you're always amazed that you can do stuff. And that was, the, of course, that was the concept that went with the, with the Outward Bound. Mm -hmm. These are things that are going to be really hard. And in some cases, they were really hard because some of the volunteers couldn't swim. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had some god-awful stories to tell you. And then they had to worry about it all night before the next day's test. But uh, those are the kinds of things that you figure, you know, I can do that. I did that. I, I actually did this. I spent two years in a country where I didn't speak the language. And I didn't have any of these little things that everybody has. And that was okay. It was mm -hmm. good. It was good for me. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned Outward Bound. I think a lot of people who have probably served in the last 30, 40 years don't realize that the initial years of the Peace Corps, they used to train volunteers in survival, outdoor survival, that they were more or less going to be just left to their own. So you guys actually received, you know, like first aid, orienteering, basic survival skills before going to Peace Corps. Right. Right. That's right. Right. And then when we got when we got there in Puerto Rico, I mean, they they took us out, dropped us off one at a time in the jungle. And rainforest. Rainforest. <laughs> and said, we'll see you in the morning. And they gave us a, a hammock and a, a no a tarp to make a hammock. And uh, and a little food for supper, but they didn't tell you that it got dark as night in, at six o'clock. So <laughs> you, everybody was trying to eat before six o'clock so they could see their food. And uh, one funny story was a girl, one of the volunteers, she she felt something again up against her screen of her her, her uh, tent, and she's you know when you spring out of uh, a hammock, it gets tight, and mm -hmm. it, then it, you touch it, it goes, bar, bar. it's really tight, and when you get in it, it's even tighter, mm -hmm. and there was something touching her side of her, of her bed, like this, and, uh, and she said, she was terrified, she didn't know what to do, and finally, it stopped, and she got enough nerve to open it, and look out, and see what it was, it was a cow, but she was sure it was a wolf or something. So you never know. It was fun. It was fun, but it was scary sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for, for taking some time and sharing your stories. I know I've enjoyed them. I know the listeners will enjoy them. To close out the show, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share with us? Well, it, I think I, I mentioned what I think is probably the universal greeting among the Islamic population. Salam alaikum. It means, may peace be upon you. And I can't think of anything better. 
And every conversation. And, and a world that and, and a world that needs it more now than ever. Mm-hmm. Yes, that and every is. conversation and, began with that. And I will tell you, it's it's open doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, use that phrase in other Islamic countries. You you have you make immediate friends mm-hmm. when when they understand that you can say something in their language. A bus driver in Morocco, a ticket salesman on the boat going over. They just they light up. They just can't believe that this white guy is standing here and he's trying to speak my language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, even if even if you don't know anything after that, just being able able to say that first little bit just opens up so many doors. Okay. Well, this is a great thing you do. Yes, it is. I understand we may be the oldest. <laughs> um, do you have any other sixty-one? You may be. You may be the first ones because I don't think I have any ones from the very, very first. I have several multiple ones in the 60s, uh, but I don't think – I think you guys are the first ones for the first year of the Peace Corps. Good. Keep it up. It's yeah, very good. good. Well, thank yeah, well, you. Thank, thank you very Thanks much, Thanks for Tyler. considering us. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good rest of your Saturday. Thank you very much. Yeah, and you right. too. Right. Goodbye. Take care. Guys, how awesome was that episode? They served in the very first year of the Peace Corps. And not only did they serve in the first year of the Peace Corps, right now their grandson is serving in the Peace Corps. He's the one that reached out to me. So very, very likely he is going to be listening to this episode while in his community, serving as a Peace Corps volunteer, listening to the stories of his grandparents. I know he's probably heard these stories. As they said, they have thousands of stories, and he's heard them all. Well, guys, I wish I could have heard more, but thank you very much for them just coming on the show. Uh, Jim and Addis, thank you so much for sharing some of your stories. I know that the listeners really, really enjoyed them. I know I definitely did. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to make sure that you get a new episode every single week when I release them, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?